don't know if you've, never, if you've ever heard this, but I got friends in the city who say, yeah, I, I like Jesus. I just don't like your Christians. You know, like if your Christians looked a little bit more like Jesus, then I'd probably be interested in Christianity. Anyone ever heard that before? Yeah, I got friends like that. The reality is hypocrisy is leading so many people away from Christianity. We live now in uh, an area of the, the country that's very post-Christian. It's the second least religious area of the country. And at one point was very thoroughly Jesus following and has walked away. And I think one of the big hindrances in all that, one of the major roadblocks has actually been the hypocrisy in the church. And so Jesus, what he's doing is he's walking us through. What does it look like to unmask from a lot of this hypocrisy? And now, even if you're not a religious person here today, we all know what it means to walk into someone that's got a mask on, right? And how phony and how gross that feels. Whether it's someone at work is just trying to climb that corporate ladder and tr puts on the, the, the nice face for the boss but chews out the other coworkers behind his back. You know, it's the person at the party who, you know, is trying to win everybody, pretending like he knows it all. Like, we hate phonies. And so what Jesus is showing us here is like, I want to show you what it looks like to really be a true follower of God and unmask from all the phoniness because here's what Jesus is really all about. We've been doing this for months now. We've been working through Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6, going through the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew 6, where we're going to be today. We're going to start in verse 16. But what we're looking at is a message that Jesus has been preaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is nothing less than Jesus saying, this is what my radical followers who come to change the world look like. This is what the lifestyle of Jesus' followers actually looks like and how it actually changes the world. And so he's, we're going to jump into the last part of how we can unmask today. But another part of which Jesus is also saying this is what it really means to be radical. And he's going to jump into a topic that we never talk about. We don't talk about this in the church. Jesus is going to talk about how to actually be a radical follower with our food. Yeah, you heard me, food. We're going to talk about food today. Anyone knows me? That's like an awesome topic. Yeah, I'm with you, Ben. It's going to be a great morning, okay? Uh, except maybe not so much um, because it's going to get a little bit crazy. And I'm telling you, like right now, this has actually been messing with me all week because I love food. I love food, okay? This is what Jesus says at the beginning of chapter 6, uh, verse 16. You ready? Three words. When you fast... When you fast, here's the crazy thing about Jesus. Jesus never explicitly commanded his followers to fast, but he expected them to fast. Now, for some of you, you're just like, what is fasting? I mean, I'm like, you know, I go pretty fast on the road. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Like, I can kind of zoom in and out of cars. I cut lines like nobody, but like, what, what's he talking about? That's not the kind of fasting he's talking about. Fasting, we, we, gotta, we gotta talk about what fasting is, okay? Jesus is expecting his followers to fast. What is it? Fasting is essentially going without food. You're like, okay, I'm out. I'm walking out right now, going out the door. Jesus expected his followers to actually go without food for a particular period of time. Why? So they would actually get more of God. Now, if you're thinking that's weird, uh, it's, you got to hang in with me on this one because it's actually, it hits home a little bit, whether, whether you're religious or whether you're not, hits home a little bit closer than you might think. So here's the questions we want to ask today. What is fasting? What does it do and why should we fast? And then we'll get into the rest of the passage. Jesus is going to help us unmask because we can actually mask and be hypocritical even in fasting. But we got to understand why. What do we do? Like what is fasting? What does it do? And then why do we do it? So at the very beginning here, we understand Jesus is expecting us to fast and is literally going without food. This is where we get the word breakfast from. 
Breakfast is literally breaking the fast. You didn't eat all night, at least some of us didn't. Um, and so when you break it in the morning, like you're breaking that fast. Now, some of you are like, hey, does that count? You know, I've, I've fasted all night. Like, no, that doesn't count, okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about. You did not fast last night. Um, and for some of you, you literally didn't fast last night. You were eating snacks. I know you did, because yeah, I was there too. Anyway, um, so uh, there's great heroes of the faith that all throughout scripture, we're fasting. This is a part of the rhythm of some of the people of God. It said that Moses actually fasted for 40 days. Can you imagine that? He was up on a mountain, didn't have any food for 40 days while God was delivering the law to him for the people of Israel. Nehemiah, who was an incredible guy who actually came after the, the city of Jerusalem was conquered and destroyed back in 586. He came back after that and rebuilt the city. But before he did that, he fasted. He went without food, seeking God. It says that Jesus actually fasted in the desert for 40 days too. In the desert, no food. Some of you are thinking like, I'll keel over if I don't get lunch, you know? Uh, the early church in Acts 13 also said that they, they fasted before they were about to go send other missionaries around the Mediterranean world. It was a rhythm of the early church to go without food so they could get more of God. But here's the crazy thing. We don't do this. We don't practice this in 21st century America. When was the last time you went to a church and they, someone was talking about fasting? When was the last time you went to a group and they were like, hey, let's all fast this week. Let's go without food for several days. Now, I know that we don't fast as your pastor because we don't talk about it. Like in all the conversations that I've had with you guys, we never talk about it. You know, we might like, if I, if I were to ask you, hey, when was the last time you prayed? I'd be like, yeah, I probably prayed on the way over to work today uh, or maybe even on the way to church because someone cut me off, you know? Um, but, you know, I, and I was like, hey, you know, when was the last time you read your Bible? Some of you might, you know, I opened it up today or I read it at least once this week or maybe this past month I opened it one time, you know. But if I were to ask, when was the last time you fasted? You're like, what do you mean? I don't go without food. Except maybe that one meal because I had to rush to work and miss breakfast and, you know, just kind of had to get to work really fast. But I was super hungry and tummy was growling all morning. Anyway, um, like that's not fasting, okay? And we over-spiritualize it in our Christian world too sometimes because like when we, when we do talk about fasting, We'll talk about like, I'm fasting from social media. Anybody heard that? Like, I'm, I'm fasting from social media right now. I'm like, um, that's actually not fast. Uh, in the, uh, in the, the whole of the Bible, fasting actually never refers to anything outside of food. So you can't say like, I'm, I'm fasting from social media uh, or I'm fasting from dessert. Anybody ever been there? I'm like, no, you're just spiritualizing your diet, you fatty. You know, like seriously, that's, that's what's happening, all right? Um, all right, like you can't say I'm fasting from vacuuming the house. I mean, that's really more like it. Like, sorry, honey, I'm going without vacuuming this month. Um, just giving it up for God, you know? Or like fasting from working out. I don't want people to stumble over my six pack. Like, you know that that's not fasting, okay? That's not fasting. Fasting is literally going without food, not eating. Now, this is hard. <laughs> it's for 21st century Americans, all right? There's literally, there's been some days where I'm like, all right, you're gonna get in the zone. I'm gonna fast today. It's gonna be awesome. Get down, read my Bible. I'm like, this is gonna be a sweet fasting day. You know, I'm, it's legit. I'm gonna do this. And then uh, Charity comes down and she's like in the kitchen and I smell something. I'm like, is that bacon? All right, well, I'll start my fast at lunchtime, you know? And then I'll get to lunchtime and be like, well, I just don't want to be legalistic about my religious nature, no? So, like, but we're so easily, like, we, we skip it. 
And we'll do anything we can to not go without food because we're 21st century Americans. I know that we will part with money faster than we'll part with food. That's all of us in this room. You will part with money before you part with food. Because we've talked about it. Here's, we have a love for food. And when I say love, I mean a capital L-O-V-E, love for food. Because here's, here's the reality in America. You ready? According to the BMI index, roughly 66% of Americans are either overweight or obese. Nearly 75% of men and over 60% of American women. And 30% of kids now. That's up from 19% in 1980. 13% of the world's obese people are actually right here in the States. That's the highest percentage of anyone, any, any one country in the world, right here in the States. 20 per, uh, fast food sales over the past uh, couple of years, uh, 2012 to 2017 was the report, uh, went up 22%. And so we love food and increasing levels of food right now. We love our food. Look, if, if some of you are thinking like you're feeling a little judged right now, I'm telling you this messed with me all week. If you knew me, you know that I love food, okay? I talk about Haywards like every other message, okay? We love food right now. And we think there's something inside of us that says like we can't go without it. There's, there's a message that we've been pitched that says if, unless you have three square meals a day, <laughs> scatter some snacks here and there, a little ice cream after dinner, like you will not survive. That's what we've been pitched. You know that's not true? Here's the reality, ready? I did some research this week. Um, I don't know if you, we can test this if you want to, uh, but if, if you go without air for three minutes, you'll probably die. Uh, probably shouldn't test that. Uh, and then uh, water, you can actually survive without water for about three days, maybe four days, something like that. We need water. We can survive without food for well over three weeks. In fact, I know people who've gone 40 days without food. We've re we're reading about people who've gone 40 days without food. You will survive if you don't have food for a day. That's true. But everything about our, our culture right now tells us, no, not only do you need food, like you must have it. And you must have it right now. Paul, the apostle Paul actually goes as far as to say in, in Philippians that we worship it. He says, join in uh, together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have uh, us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do following Jesus. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. You ever heard that preached in church before? <laughs> Maybe never before because we don't talk about it. We love our food. I'm telling you this week, I was just like, you know, confessing to charity, like pastoral ministry surrounds food. Like everything that I do, I meet with people and I have food every time I meet with people. We love our food and yet we can be carried away by it and feel like we need that more than we need God. We're pitched this idea how many people in the past week at one point said, oh, I'm starving, starving. I've trained my kids to say that, man. Like halfway through the afternoon, they're like, daddy, I'm starving. I'm like, no, you're not. We just gave you Cheerios half hour ago. That's no joke, okay? I'm not even joking. This is the truth, you ready? We need food to survive, 100%. But we need Jesus more. We need Jesus more. There was a moment where Jesus was with his crew and they're, they're going on a journey. He, he was in the southern area uh, of, um, 
of Israel and he's traveling up north. He had to get to the northern part, but he, but he had to go through a particular point. Now he said he had to, but he really didn't. He could have taken the long way around, which the way you know, every other Jew would have when he's traveling north, but he went through this particular place, which was actually enemy territory with the Samaritans to have a particular meeting with a scandalous woman. Now, at, his disciples had no idea about this. Jesus is going up and, and they get tired. And so they, they, they settle down right around this place where a popular well was. And his disciples at that point are like, I'm hungry. So they all go into the city. Jesus is sitting tired by the well. They go into the city to go get some food. In the meantime, Jesus encounters this wayward woman who had been rejected by her society. Who had, she rejected herself because of the way that she treated herself, having gone after man, after man, after man, after man. And Jesus, this is scandalous. He's a rabbi. He should never have had this conversation with that woman, but he had to. Because he had some life change to do in her life. They had an, a conversation that literally flipped her world upside down and changed her life and changed everyone else's life. That's actually why we call this church the well. That's the story right there, why we call this church. It was so powerful and pivotal that God took a woman that nobody cared about and built in her this affirmation that she mattered so much to God that she would have a place in the family and then be used to, to bring so many more people into the family. And yet when the disciples came back with all the food, you know what they did? <laughs> Their jaws dropped to the ground and they had no idea what to say. They're looking at this woman and be like, I got nothing. You got something? I got nothing. And so all they could do when they looked at Jesus was like, you hungry? <laughs> I love it. Jesus says, I got food to eat that you don't know anything about. At this point, this is what the idiots do. They look at each other and like, does someone else bring him some food? Like, I don't see any food around here. Does someone else bring him food? They're so focused on food that they can't see what Jesus was all about. And Jesus, you could picture him saying like, no, you knuckleheads. That's not what I'm talking about. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish that work. That's what I feed on. He goes on and he says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields now. They're ripe for harvest. When you look throughout the rest of Jesus' teaching, what he means, what he means by harvest is that there are people in this world who are far from God. And right now, the fields right now are ripe with those people encountering Jesus and hearing about what he did to set them free and to, to build them into the family of God for all eternity. That's the harvest. And Jesus is saying that right there, aligning my heart with God and following him and what he wants to do to rescue people's lives, that's more nourishing than food is. That's what I need to feed on. Sharing the good news, enjoying the rescue mission, and yet for a lot of us, man, we're just so consumed with comfort. I mean, you see the disciples, that's what they did. They're tired and they're just, the first thought in their mind was, how can I get me a bite to eat? And we don't blame them. You need food, right? Jesus just said, you need some a lot more. We're obsessed with comfort. Pastor John Stott put it this way. In countries to which Christian civilization has spread, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent but thin veneer of Christianity. They've allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is great. It's a soft cushion. It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its, its place and shape to suit their convenience. And it's no wonder, check this out, it's no wonder the cynics speak of the hypocrites in the church and dismiss their religion as escapism. What are you really hungry for? What do you truly hunger for? 
Is it the comforts around us or are you truly hungry for Jesus? Because here's the reality. You can't feast on God if you're full of yourself. That hit me like a brick in the face this week. You can't feast on God if you're already full of yourself. This is what fasting does. It's powerful. There's some of us in this room right now that I know that you're struggling with particular sin. There's some stuff that you know that you're doing in your life and you know it's not healthy. There's addictions there, whether it's pornography or addictions to social media or addictions to workaholism, whatever it is. Like there, there's some patterns in our life that are just really hard to break. And some of us, like we come from generations of that kind of, that pattern and it's really difficult to break those kind of patterns. Do you know the one way to break that sin? You gotta love God more than you love that, whatever it is. And one of the greatest ways to do that is actually fasting. <laughs> because in that moment, what you're doing is you're not going without a convenience. You're going without something that's a necessity. You need food. And in that moment when you fast, what you're doing is you're reprioritizing what's most important in your life. Because whenever you feel those stomach gurgles and they come frequently, 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 um, what you're doing is you're saying, man, I need Jesus more than I need this food right now. And if you feel like you need to work 80 hours a week in order for your life to be significant, if you need that social media and that phone to be glued to your face constantly, which is not a necessity, one of the best things you can do to defeat that sin is actually go into a place where you do need something, food, and say, I'm going without that. Because that, what that's gonna do is it's actually gonna start reprioritizing what you really need most. And that's God. It's amazing, um, in, in the story of Jonah, Jonah is called to go preach to the Ninevites. And the Ninevites were this people that were so far from God. And Jonah's like, I don't want to talk to them. And it's a whole long story and how he doesn't <laughs> go to them. He runs in the opposite direction. God still kicks his butt and says, go talk to the Ninevites. And he goes and he preaches. And the message that God told him to preach was destruction is coming. Doom is coming. Now, Jonah was happy about that because he was, they were the enemies. But do you know what the Ninevites did? They fasted. They fasted and they put sackcloth and ashes around themselves and they literally went out, they, they went without their, their necessities and said, we actually need this God maybe more than we need our food. And do you know what God did? He didn't bring the doom. He relented. Now for some of us in this room, like we say, well, theologically, God knew exactly what they were gonna do before they did it, so that was just all part of the plan and you know, God actually didn't really change his mind. It doesn't matter. Fasting was a part of that plan. There's power in fasting. There's power in it. The other thing that fasting does, in addition to kicking us away from some of the sin habits in our life that have really taken over and caused damage in our life, fasting actually helps us to train the body and the mind to focus on God. Anybody else ever feel distracted in your Christian life? <laughs> fasting, I'm telling you, Fasting is actually an incredible tool for this, for self-discipline. The Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians said, I have a right to do anything. I can do anything, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. And this is part of what it means to actually self-discipline ourselves to say, man, no, I want to I fix my eyes on Jesus and not what I want to do. The theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, um, when we fast, we launch an assault upon the flesh, which is our inner pull to not follow God, to actually walk away from him, the flesh. And we prepare for better service by fasting and prayer. For the life of faith is nothing but an unending struggle of spirit with every available weapon against this flesh. 
Fasting is a way to fight against the enemy. You punch the enemy in the face when you fast. If you've, if you've never really thought about disciplines within the Christian life, uh, Jesus actually talks about a farmer and an athlete to describe what it means to be self-disciplined. Anybody ever met a lazy farmer? <laughs> yeah, like you didn't meet them for very long because they didn't last very long, okay? Uh, if you got a lazy farmer, they got no crops. Farmers usually wake up at ungodly hours so that they can get their fields prepared and they can get the food that they need. You don't have lazy farmers. It's, they just don't exist for very long. He also talks about athletes. Athletes, like if you're going to be a, I mean, and we, we know some lazy athletes out there. Okay, ready? Yeah, maybe you played with some lazy athletes, but they didn't stick around very long. Some of the best, the greats, they're crazy people. They wake up at like four in the morning to go train and eat. I was talking to someone today who runs marathons and he's like, I can't help you put yard signs for the egg hunt around the city because I'm running with one of my friends. And I'm like, you're insane. You're insane, you're insane, you're insane. Um, anyway, that's totally off topic. But what Jesus is saying here is like, the Christian who actually follows Jesus is disciplined. And fasting is one of those ways that we actually get outside of our heads and start focusing on God. It's training the body. Paul, when he talks about an athlete, he says, I actually, I strike a blow to my body. Not literally, we're not, you know, we're not crazy people that actually whip ourselves. We don't do it. But he's like, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I would not be disqualified for the prize. When was the last time we approached our following of Jesus that way? So this is, scientifically, this is actually what fasting does, right? I was looking this up this week. John Hopkins Health Review reports this. This is, this is the training that we get when we fast. Fasting is a challenge to your brain. <laughs> oh boy, is it, because I think about Haywards every time. Okay, and we think that your brain reacts uh, by activating adaptive stress responses that help it cope with disease. This is pretty cool. For survival perspective, it actually makes sense that your brain should be functioning well when you haven't had food for a little bit. They go on, they say, well, well why fasting? You know, uh, wouldn't it just be better if you just ate a few fewer potato chips a day? You know, wouldn't that have the same effect? They say, actually, apparently not. Every time you eat, this is science, this is science, okay? Uh, every time you eat, glucose is stored in your liver as glycogen, which takes about 10 to 12 hours to be depleted. After the glycogen is used up, your body starts burning fats, which are converted to ketone bodies, acidic chemicals used by neurons as energy. Ketones promote positive changes in the structures and synapses important for learning and memory and overall brain health. If you don't have these ketones coming, your brain doesn't function too well. But if you eat three meals a day with snacks in between, your body does not, listen to this, does not have the chance to deplete the glycogen stores in your liver so that you can produce ketones. In other words, you don't prepare yourself to go take an amazing, important test if you just ate the Thanksgiving meal. Anybody ever had meat sweats before? You know what I'm talking about. You're not exactly functioning at highest capacity. I had a meal this week with actually two people in this room that will remain nameless, Mark and Allison. Um, we, uh, we had a meal together uh, at a restaurant and halfway through the meal, man, I mean, it's warm in that restaurant too. I ate way too much food and I'm there like, like slinking in the corner, like just like, ugh, you know, and they're sharing with me some of the most important things in their life and how their life has changed and beautiful things. And I'm over there like, I can't even think right now. And then the waiter comes over and plops dessert in front of me. You can't think straight if you're eating too much, all right? It's my life, okay? Anyway, wow. You guys just got a clear window into my life right there. Sorry about that. Anyway, um, Proverbs 23 puts it this way. 
Don't join with those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. <laughs> if you're too busy going, oh, there's a certain level of spiritual poverty there. Ezekiel 16, 49 says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They didn't help the poor and needy. If we're constantly consuming and constantly eating, guys, it's not even about the food and how much food we're consuming. It's about filling ourselves with stuff that we feel like we need outside of God. And when we fast, what we're doing is we're training the body and the mind to start treasuring God more and wanting his ways more than our ways. And at that point, you know what happens? God start tuning us in to the needs of people around us like we never saw before. Because we're just so slinking back in our seat, so <laughs> consumed with the meat sweats. But here's what Jesus wants us to get to. He wants us to be able to cry out as the psalmist did in Psalm 42, as deer pants for water, as it longs for water, as it cannot wait to thirst for water. The psalmist said, so my soul is the same way. I can't wait to be with my God and to feast on him. Isaiah 55 says, man, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you who have no money, come buy and eat. He says, come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. It's free, the grace of God, it's all free. He says, why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? We do it all the time. We go after things that we feel like we need and we must have them. But God is saying, you don't understand. You need something deeper than that. If you're so full on yourself, you can't feast on God. And he says, listen. That's what he says in Isaiah 55, 4. He says, listen, listen to me. And your soul will delight in the richest affair. Fasting trains us for that. It trains us for that so that we could love him more. Now, for some of you, you're just like, man, you just made this super awkward because I was going to five guys after church today with some of my friends. And you know, like someone walks in at five guys and they're seeing me pounding on a burger. They're just gonna think I'm like the worst Christian ever. <laughs> Look, I'd love to join you at five guys. It's gonna be pretty sweet. But here's the point, like we need to feast on God. And if you're too full of yourself, you'll never be hungry for God. And so the big question for us really is this, how hungry are you? How hungry are you for God? Fasting is powerful. There's a moment where Jesus uh, and his, his buddies are looking at a, a little kid who's possessed by a demon. Uh, and he's rolling around and the dad, you know, looked at the disciples and is like, they couldn't cast him out. They couldn't do anything with this. Can you do something with this? And Jesus kind of rebukes them all for their lack of faith. But in that moment, he looked at the disciples after he'd healed the boy and the, and the disciples looked at him and say, why couldn't we get this demon out? You know what he said? He said, this kind only comes out through fasting and prayer that there's a certain power in fasting that we haven't accessed because we're not hungry enough for God. In the, in the book of Esther, the story of Esther, Esther is this, this girl that uh, got swept up by the king because he just wanted a new bride uh, and kings can get whatever they want. And so she came into the castle, um, but they were, these brides really had no power. They, they were not allowed to go into the kingdom, but she was a Jew uh, in a Persian kingdom. And uh, there's a horrible guy who for, basically challenged the king to say, we're gonna get rid of all the Jews. It was an extermination camp back in the day in Persia. And she was faced with a decision at one point to say, I think God's raised me up to do something about this, but it could cost me my very life. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna challenge all my people, all the Jews, to fast from food and water for three days, to go without anything for three days. 
Esther is the only book of the Bible that actually doesn't mention God by name, but in that moment, they declared more faith in God than what we normally see. And what did God do? He saved him, man. God responded to fasting and the faith that's involved in fasting by actually changing an entire empire from killing a whole group of people. That's how powerful fasting is. I told you guys this, but years ago I went to India and I I was a part of an organization um, that started with just a couple, a man and a woman, um, back in 1960. And this couple, it's amazing. They committed that we're gonna pray and fast every single Friday. And all of our leaders, we're gonna pray and fast every single Friday, no matter what. That's what we're gonna do. It's a rhythm of what we are. And this guy, he literally preached every Sunday to an, to an empty room for an entire year, except for his wife. Must have been the most painful experience his wife ever had, you know, for an entire year. That's all she heard. Nobody else in the room. And at the end of that, God did something to change a lot of what happened around in the neighborhood. And one day everyone started coming in. It is now a network of 1,500 churches and hundreds of orphanages and hundreds of schools. Why? I believe, and I asked them at one point, I said, why do you fast and pray every Friday? The guy looked at me like I was crazy. He said, do you understand? Outside of that desperation for God, we have nothing. Man, it challenged me this week and I just thought, we can set up a stage and all sorts of chairs and lighting and equipment and all this kind of stuff, but I have no power to change the human heart. Our mission is literally to see lost people come to know Jesus And that can only take place when the heart is radically transformed. I can't do that. You can't do that. God's literally calling all of us in this room to do something we can't do. But he can. And when we are so desperate for him, and we lift up every one of these fingerprints that we put up on this whiteboard up to him in desperation saying, God, I want your will, not my will. Would you do this? He has the power to do that. So how hungry are you for God? How hungry are you? Now, I'm gonna take the last two minutes and talk about how we can unmask. And the reality in this is that we just don't do this. So we don't really mask it all that well. But for some of us in this room, maybe what you're thinking right now is like, this is the answer. I'm just gonna fast and all my troubles in life are gonna go away. This is what Jesus says next. When you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What he's saying is don't just look awful. <laughs> if you're fasting, like any, if anybody goes without food, man, you start getting a little grumpy. Anyone ever experienced the hangries? That's a real thing in my house every day, every day, every day. Okay, um, if you're hangry, man, you, the temptation is that you're just gonna be like, oh, oh, you know, like monster's gonna come out. It's real. And what he's saying is like, stop it. Stop looking so gross. And for some of us, man, our temptation, even without going without food, is to walk in here and just be like, oh man, life's awful. So terrible. I hate life, you know? And it's like, we, we just think like that negativity just pours out and we just want people's pity. And what Jesus is saying is stop. That's not the reward you want. Trade that pity for a heavenly reward because Jesus is better. He's better than the pity that you can get from other people. He's better than the pity that you can get from fasting from other people. Stop showing it to other people because Jesus is enough. If you're full of yourself, you'll never get the feast of God. And sometimes we can even pull out the mask and say, I'm gonna feast on myself through fasting by showing everybody how spiritual I am. You know, 
man, life is awful because I'm so important for Jesus. He says, cut it out. Stop. You want to know what real fasting is? Look at the chapter of Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is one of the most beautiful chapters on planet earth. And there were people who said, we're going to fast. God, look at our fasting. We're so humble. Just look at us. We're so great. Why aren't you answering us? Why aren't you answering us? But we're so great. We're so humble. And Jesus is like, you seem like you want to come to me, but you really don't. I know your hearts are far from me. You just want all the praise because you know what's happening behind the scenes? You're exploiting your workers. You're not taking care of the poor. You're not clothing the naked. You're not feeding the hungry. He says, true fasting. Isn't this the the fasting that I want to help the people in this world who really need help? And so when you come to fast and dependence on God, ask him, give me your will, not mine. This happened, uh, Francis Chan, I'll leave you with this story. Francis Chan told me of a story, not told me personally, I don't know Francis Chan, that'd be pretty sweet. Um, but I, I, was, I was listening to him articulate the story where he, a good friend of him, his in, in San Francisco just loved the poor and wanted to care for the poor at a high level. Couldn't wait to just take care of them, but the need was so great. And so he prayed and he actually fasted for 40 days, no joke. This is modern 21st century example. 40 days in San Francisco and he prayed over a particular building and said, God, give me this building. I want this building to care for the poor. He prayed over that building. At the end of the 40 days, you know what happens? The people, the owners of the building saw what he was doing to care for the poor and he said, we've been praying for 20 years that someone would care for the poor like you are. Here are the keys to the building and here's a whole bunch of money. Would you do something for them? Is it possible that we're missing out on the miracles of God because we're not desperate enough for him? You can't feast on God if you're full of yourself. And I'm calling all of us in this room today. Don't announce it. But between now and Easter, I'm challenging all of us in this room, take at least one day and go without food. So we can pray for every fingerprint that's on that board. Because those are people who matter to God. And their souls are something that I can't save and you can't save. But he can. And if we're desperate enough for him, he'll do it. Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray that you'd help us remind us, God, that you are all we need. I, I just pray, God, that you'd show us power this week. As we cry out to you in desperation, I, I pray that you'd show us miracles like we haven't seen before. Show us, God, miracles, and not just for our sake and our consumption, God. Show us miracles so that we can see God, friends like Gary and John and Mandy and Chris and Julie, Matt, and these people who have no idea how good it is to know and love Jesus. We pray that these people and many more in this room that I don't know would know and find the feast of heaven by trusting in you and putting their faith and hope in you. And that all of us in this room, God, would be free from the burdens of anxieties and fears and distractions because we've understood how good it is We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name we pray.